everybody to this week's uh, mastermind meeting for Clear Tai Chi. And our topic this week is going to be the um, how to help people with Tai Chi part two. And we get into some other aspects than what we were getting into last time. So it's, it's really, I probably should name it something else, but it really has to do with different aspects of teaching and being a teacher and, and working with people and all that. With us today is myself, um, Daniel's there waiting to come in. And I'm here in Maryville, Tennessee, uh, outside of Knoxville. <laughs> Matt could not be with us today. So I'm sorry I'm late. What's that? I said, sorry I'm late. I had a family thing. I'm to work on. Yep, yep. Just watch the business meeting when, uh, you know, after we get it posted up later in the day or, you know, Monday, whatever it is. All right. I think it's Tuesday, um, yes. Um, all right, and so with us today is Greg Nomeyer in Ypsilanti and tell them the other places. And Ann Arbor, Michigan. And welcome. And Chris Walsh in Maine. Hello, everyone. I'm in um, Hollowell, Maine, just outside of Augusta, Maine. And Art Don in the Washington, D.C. area. Hi, everyone. Uh, Greenbelt, Maryland, about 13 miles east of Washington, D.C. And Sheila Bell in Costa Rica. Hi, everyone. I'm in Guanacaste, and I have classes in Liberia, Playa uh, Panama, and in Playa del Coco. Well, Phil Chan in Columbus, Georgia. Hello. Harry Leg in Verona, New Jersey, outside of New York City. Hello, hello. Jim Kelly in Boca Raton, Florida, also with classes in. Uh, hope, hope after the pandemic cools down a little bit in Delray, <laughs> Boca Raton and Delray Beach. Ty Talbert in Colton, California, and a couple of other places he'll tell you outside of LA. Yes, and Redlands, Riverside, and Colton. Welcome. And Daniel Stringer in... I'm going to let you tell them those places in Florida. Uh, the school is located in Paisley. Uh, we operate out of DeLand, and it's uh, just a little bit uh, north of Orlando. And hello. So uh, what I've got for you guys today is what are some of the ethical, moral behavior considerations when you're teaching and, and when you're working with students and that kind of thing? And, and for you, I'm really, really talking about kind of for, for you personally and or what you even think they maybe should be or shouldn't be. And, uh, and there's obvious things like how you conduct yourself in a professional manner and how you um, interact and relate to the students and that kind of a thing and how much humor you allow into the room or not and, and those kinds of things. And then also the system of moral principles that are concerned with what is good for individuals in society and the code of conduct and that kind of thing. And I've got here, would you guys rather I told you kind of a couple things from myself and I, I'm not telling you the basics like how people should conduct themselves in class, although we can, we can certainly get into that. Um, or would you rather that you guys told me first and then I kind of save mine to last? I'm good either way. I have an idea. <laughs> Go ahead. So, yeah. um, one of the things I think is uh, more broadly is careful what you mix. You know, um, there's a lot of places where, well, in order to study this, 
essentially join a whole nother thing that's not learning martial arts or healing work. It's a whole nother thing. And with that comes a, a mild to severe manipulation of that community. <laughs> um, and so for me, it's very important to say, hey, you know, I've got skills, I can help you come along, but my job is to present something that is as digestible as it can be for them, that takes them from where they are to the next few steps, um, and as far as I hopefully can, um, but not to assume or crowd in too much other stuff. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I'll jump on, on what Greg's saying. I mean, there's a lot of martial arts instructors and people that it becomes very cult-like and it's not just a human that's obtained skill yep. and life change and benefit that they're trying to pass that on but it's very like worship me do everything i say jump 15 feet in the air instead of hey i'm a person i've gotten benefit from this you're a person i want you to also get benefit from that let's partner together and work on this thing it'll be good for me it'll be good for you and obviously i'll be compensated for my time but it's not a uh very strange yeah, it's not a weird thing that it turns into. And, and so many, and that's, you know, what the MMA world really doesn't like about traditional martial arts because it gets very cult-like. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. Um, we, we want me to go if across I, the there. Yeah, go ahead. If I can throw something in, uh, I know it, it's always a, a fine line to walk to. We have a bunch of different religious beliefs here in South Florida. And, you know, it's, you have to be very careful, it seems, to introduce things and and in a non-competitive way with uh, with the way people think about religion and you know a lot of this stuff with the energy work and and all of that. Uh, it seems to you have to walk a a fine line there. You have to be very careful. And the other thing I find uh, as an instructor. You, you know, some people, different cultures have different uh, customs about being touched or being, um, you know, correct, correcting form or correcting posture in certain ways. You know, I always, always try to ask and, and not assume that, uh, you know, every, everybody is as open to, you know, human, human contact as, as, uh, as we are. Yeah, that's right. And it's also a good idea, I think, to ask that just because it, it, it stops misunderstandings before they can begin. Is it okay if I put my hands on you here to adjust you like this? And they, you know, and then once that's established, I don't know that I keep asking, but I definitely first time will typically really make sure that there's not going to be, that they're not going to be like, why are you touching me? Yeah, absolutely. I'll jump in on that because uh, in my very first class with someone or a new group, I make it perfectly clear that in order to learn Tai Chi properly, there needs to be some hands-on. And it's going to be below the shoulder and above the waist primarily. There'll be no inappropriate touching. Now we get into a little kick or something like that, it's a different thing. Um, and I, I have learned uh, if we're ever doing a meditation sort of thing and maybe you want to dim the lights or shut them out uh, down uh, just to set a different environment, that that could be a trigger for someone that may have some trauma in the past. You've so noticed I don't tend to turn the lights down even when it's stuff where ideally that would kind of happen that it's gotta be exceptional for me to do that. I normally, I normally yeah. keep it from bright. Well, can I, I don't uh, do it too oh, sorry, often Aaron. either. Oh, uh, I don't do it too often either, but a, a school that I once went to 
did that. Uh, oh, yeah. Chris, Chris and I both know because um, we, we were there together. Um, and uh, so I just learned to do that. So anyone that does do that regularly, take that into consideration that it could be a trigger for someone, especially yeah. if they're a new student. I also have a, a little bit of an attitude of you want to meet the students where they're at. But I also have an attitude of maybe I'm not the right teacher for you, or this isn't the right class because this is how I teach. This is how we do things. So is that going to work for you? Um, so that's an individualized thing. If they're like, nope, never, ever want touched. I'm like, well, you know, I can only take you so far because a lot of the class isn't just going to be form and follow along. It's going to be all this other stuff. So maybe I'm not the right guy for you. The YMCA is down the street. That might be. Well, at least you've had that conversation up front. As oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And, and I've never had an issue. Um, and and, I, and I, just, I let them understand why hands go on and, and whatever. So. Well, yeah, I, I was, uh, sorry, I cut you off. Now, Daniel was going to talk there a minute ago, so I'm going to let him go and then whoever. Was... Yeah, well, I just wanted to, because I think Harry's bringing up a really good point, And I wanted to just give a shout out to Clear Tai Chi. Uh, you know, I'm a married man and my wife is also a student. And it's the kind of thing that could get real, uh, like the lines could get real blurred. And, and as a married man, I could be very uh, protective of my wife. And, and one of the things that this group of people have done has done very well, has been very good with boundaries. And at no point I felt, hey, like, why are you touching my wife? And so I just wanted to give a shout out to all you guys, because you guys have all worked with my wife and uh, the professionalism there is definitely noted. And I know that makes it easier for people to train. Yeah, cool. Who was the other person there? So I just wanted to say, um, I agree with Harry, you know, and there's some cases where maybe I'm not your guy, you know, like I'm interested in this in some depth. And if you would like to do something where you're kind of relaxing and moving around, but that's kind of what you're looking for, I'm probably not your guy. And I'm up front saying that. And there's a very few teachers that do that, that are also willing to say, but if you really want the stuff, go see Greg or this other guy or whomever they see. And I would really love to see more of that from the other side Absolutely. because sometimes they give the impression that that's the whole art is just kind of follow along form. And it's just so much not that. For a class like that, and I, um, I did some stuff here for a while where we were getting in, and this is a smaller community, as many as 25 to 30 people at a session to start the, the sessions off. And what I found is the bigger majority of those people did not want to be taught as much as they wanted to come in and do a follow along. And so if when I start doing that again, and I, and I may here sooner than later, um, the way that I would that I'll handle that is to literally put in a class time. I'm not going to be the one teaching that, but I've got enough people here under me who teach class can teach and do teach that I'll put somebody in there and like, that's a follow along class. This is a learning class. And figure out how to differentiate that. If they want the follow along class, they can get that. And the goal for, for, the, for the art itself would be that eventually most of those people, if they ever get a real liking for it, really enjoy it, you know, want more out of it, that they'll go, hey, I want to start learning the actual art as opposed to coming and just getting a workout from you. But then uh, we'll be charging them for the workout, obviously, because it's a service we're providing at that point. But it's not somebody I'm thinking of as they're really learning the art. They're just, you know, they're getting a workout like a like a routine class kind of a thing. But really making it clear like what you guys are talking about, making it, you know, clarifying that the way that you're talking about. So, yeah, cool. 
who was the other person? Was it Chris? Yep. Yeah. So I, I, I really just try to focus on the learning environment. Uh, I, I don't want to, to mix anything beyond what we're doing for the purpose of the class. However, I also believe that there should be a place for everyone. And um, outside of the class, I'll speak with people. I'll try and set the expectations and boundaries of how the lesson will go. Um, I also, before COVID came, I had a follow along class and I was very clear on what that is. It's just going to be a very basic uh, movement and exercises. And then I have a class that's separate that is just like clear as Tai Chi. And in there, there's going to be, you know, the full extent of adjusting posture and, you know, everything that we need to do is with push hands and stuff like that. So I explain to them the difference and if they want to be in there, but in the classroom or in a learning environment, the, the environment is strictly just learning, teaching, and that's the only interaction I want to have. Cool. Yeah. Um, anybody else? The uh, tie, you want to weigh in on that? Um, one of the ethical problems that I'm dealing with personally is that I have students that still want to go ahead and do push hands or that. Um, and so I've been trying to go ahead and keep my class socially distant mask and doing everything to go ahead and keep you know, my students and my community healthy. And yet I still have people who um, want to show up and not even wear a mask. And I'm like, guys, you got to at least wear a mask and here's some hand sanitizer. And I'm going to take everyone's temperature before class starts. And uh, like I said, I have um, three or four students that um, now don't want to do that. And I know I've specifically alienated one who um, decided, well, you know, if you want to be politically correct, then I don't need to come. Yeah, we had a we had a guy here that called about coming to class and we told him when the class was. I've actually signed up more people during the last few months here than we have in any other time period that short, unless I was like super heavily advertising and that kind of a thing. So for whatever reason, I think people are really getting tired of being cooked up in their houses. Uh, and so one of our criteria absolutely is you have to wear the mask. We've got some hand sanitizer on the way in the, uh, I intended to be taking people's temperatures, but I'm my thermometer down there. You know, the one where you're holding it up, I don't even know where it's at, but we've got the other things going on. Anyways, I had a guy show up, he walks in, no mask on, he sees everybody else is wearing masks and it's like, okay, we've got a mask right here. We're going to give you one. And he was like, I'm not wearing a mask. And it was like, then you can't be in this room. And he was like, really? And it was like, really? And he left and it was like, okay. And we had a guy that wanted to come to a workshop, but he was just determined he would not be wearing a mask. And I'm going, the way the mask works, my best of my understanding fully from the medical people is it's not that the mask is protecting you for the most part from getting it from others. <clears throat> and if it was, then I would let people go maskless. Okay. If it's just protecting you from me, then you don't want to wear it. Okay, but that's not what the mask is. The mask is protecting, if I'm wearing it, it's protecting you from me because I'm wearing it. And if we're both wearing it, that's double layered protection and all that. And so that's, that's basically what's up with that. And so 
as the business owner, if I let somebody come in there and not wear that, and they happen to become the super spreader COVID and I own the business and I'm not a lawyer, I'm not giving you legal advice here, but I'm liable for that. And I'm not going to be liable for some joker that wants to come in there and not protect themselves, not protect everybody else in the room. And potentially it's going to make everybody sick because they're running around everywhere else without a mask too. Um, and so they don't even have the little, every little bit of protection that the mask is affording them. And then they don't want to protect anybody else. And it's just, I can't, I can't do that. The idea that at this point, this far in, that anybody thinks that the thing is a hoax as, as, a, as an illness is beyond me. Um, too many people have had it where people know, almost everybody, I haven't talked to anybody that doesn't know somebody or more who had it. And so if they're saying, oh, it's not a real thing or it won't kill you, I'm like, okay, you, you're somehow you've not, you just don't obviously get around a whole lot of people because I know all kinds of people now who've had it and a number of them where it was headed towards being lethal and we, we both helped to do, they did things themselves and we did things to help them that made it not lethal um, and that they came out of it, but still where it was a pretty nasty deal um, and all that, so. Yeah, the other group of people I have is that they will comply when they come to class and then I'll find out that they went to a party or they went to a, a family reunion or they did something else that was sort of risky and then I find out about it and they want to return to class even though they've done risky behavior away from class. Yeah, I, I try not to, From I can see why you might want to do that. For me, I try not to do that. I think that that can become an overstep for, for me, not, not necessarily for you, but um, for me, that feels like it could be an overstep. Not that I'm excited that they went and did that if they really knowingly, you know, did this without, without the mask and haphazardly and where it's like, look, there's high chances you've been exposed at this point, maybe carrying it, but, but it's just a lot harder to, to, uh, to police that. And I'm, I don't want to really be in that business. I'm just going to do the smartest thing I can with what we have. But I, but I can see where if you really know that it's like, okay, look, man, you probably have the stuff, uh, you know, anyways. Anybody else didn't get to weigh in on this yet? Uh, I, I don't yeah. have a lot to offer, but um, I usually forget to mention about the touching in, when I start a new class. Uh, and then we start doing some stuff and then uh, we start moving and then I realize I need to correct the first person and then that's when I remember and then that's when I make the announcement. So, and, and I, don't, I don't normally do it as an announcement, but I probably should because it's best when I, when I'm thinking of it, of course, I, I, most times, especially it kind of depends on the person a little bit too, but anytime I'm feeling a little bit like, eh, like that, I just ask individually, but probably should make it a habit of, uh, probably should make it a habit of doing it as an announcement up front. Hey, if I'm correcting you and doing that, if you don't want me to put hands on to help correct you a little bit. And even then, I'm care more part of, part of it for me is that I'm very careful to, if I can point at something and tell them I'm going to do that more than, you know, put hands on just depends on what it is. Right. So I, I guess what I say is something like, I'm getting to the first student that I realize it means to be correction. Oh, it's it okay if I touch you and then I address the, 
the rest of the class and say, you know, part of this class, there's a lot of correction and it's, it's a certain amount of hands on. And if anyone objects, you need to let me know now. And, yeah, so, and so, so I set the tone for the rest of the class and, yeah. and for whatever reason, I haven't had a problem. So, yeah, I like it. That's probably closer to how I'm going about it. Um, in terms of that, in fact, but I'm probably still doing it typically more individual, but, but really would do it that way uh, is more what I'm comfortable with what you're talking about. So, yeah. And I know that people listening uh, to this will have various opinions that range from, you know, much less to much more and, and all of that. But I think that as long as the communication is had there and the approval is given, that's where Sheila. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that um, I really like the idea of meeting the student where they're at. And that goes for so many things more than just, you know, their physical uh, preparedness. And that you have to take the time to get a little bit sensitized. Um, this kind of came to me full force when I went to work with the Geriatric Association. And they, luckily they had a, a, a large folder for like, um, you call it orientation, I suppose, for working with that particular set of people. And there were a lot of considerations in there that I, I really hadn't, you know, become sensitized to before going through that. So. Um, it sort of opened my eyes to think about other groups as well. Any um, time you're in a group of new people, you have to, you know, really spend a little bit of time to get to know where they're coming from so you can meet them where they're at. And right. yeah, and so then the other um, large sort of philosophical umbrella for me is to... Um, Remember what you're planning to say. <laughs> I can't well, remember what it was. I had two things to say. <laughs> if you're working with a group that has specific specific health issues, whether that be physical or mental, um, and that kind of thing, that you may have to tailor some things very specifically to issues with that group. For example, if you're working with people who are blind, the hands-on thing is kind of pretty much assumed for the most part. It's going to be hands-on with certain things so that they can really tell and feel what's going on because that's more how they're seeing, right? Um, and so that you're kind of getting into that a little bit. And then also if they had some some different kinds of illnesses, they really are particular about being touched right? and that kind of a thing too. And so, yeah, and so that's where you were kind of coming from. Go ahead. Yeah, no, and I remember the other thing I was going to say is to always consider that you are being an ambassador for the art and specifically for for clear tai chi and so regardless of your personal opinion about anything you you need to come from a neutral place very authentic but it's not about you so much you know so sometimes you need to kind of think before you speak or you know just be kind of a, a good level playing field yeah yes yeah i agree and I'll, I'll talk to that very specifically here shortly Oh yeah, cool. Anybody else? So for me, um, and I, when I look at this, I tend to look at it from a master level and that for the people that are actually studying the art that you're working your way through from beginner when you start, you know, wherever somebody is when they start through the levels up to and becoming master that in our system you can actually train up to a master level and that it will be a level that your level of skill and ability 
and an understanding both physically and mentally and ideally at a spiritual level they uh, are what anyone would recognize as an actual master if they actually have mastery in the art and so with that there's some considerations right and one of the big ones for me is about truth and discerning truth and part of that is that you know everybody sort of has especially today in today's world has their own truth and that kind of a thing and then you know that your truth has validity and how does it have validity and part of what i'm saying with that it's how you feel and how you interpret and how you process and all that kind of stuff and for every person that's going to be individual to quite a bit and it can be very different and it can range that you can be a pretty wide range of things there including some things that uh i'll just say if we're talking like political spectrum that or religious spectrum that are really deferring uh, to the point that if you put the two people into a deep discussion about it, it's probably going to turn into a heated argument. My goal not being for it to turn into a heated argument. My goal is that as a teacher with this is that part of the art for me is a whittling away, if you will, at the, at the block that you're carving a block and you're trying to carve it down to what it really actually is. And the same thing with truth it's trying to cut through the, the mental clutter for lack of and physical clutter and the the things that tend to get taken as truth that are not and part of that is is that there's a lot of truth for lack of a better way to say this that is clouded or that is um, some percentage of truth and some percentage of for lack of a better way to say this feeling or emotional, um, an emotional aspect that is not the reality of the situation, but for that person at their level of perception at this time is clouding how they view truth, how they view information, how they view what is happening and why it is happening and how it is happening, whatever that would be. So this is across the board, both in the physical things and mental things and interaction with other people and interaction with self in interaction with other people. And to give you a quick thought about this, people would, you would think in today's world that the hardest level of truth is truth, especially with the amount of misinformation out there across the board. What I've found working with people more deeply when they're really hitting the point where they're working this seriously is that the hardest level of truth that most people have is truth with themselves. And it's tough. It's, it's hard to see certain aspects of flaws or need for improvement or dealing with reality as it actually is as opposed to how we perceive it to be or how we want it to be and that there's a responsibility in that and the responsibility is a very disciplined difficult process for the vast majority of people most of the time um, and but that the ideal as you're headed towards mastery in the art is to really be able to do that. Um, and it makes I sometimes and I make sure to work on my emotional self and those components. But I will tell you that sometimes it can make it so that I'm coming from a very logical, you know, think Spock here kind of a place about, well, what is one plus one plus one? and or and both like let's say one plus one well you could say two 
But if we're talking about one plus one people and male and female involved in a relationship, maybe one plus one equals three, right? There's a logical aspect there. And then there's other kind of other ways you go with that. If it's bunnies, maybe one plus one equals 20. You know, um, if you get the idea. The, um, but being able to look at that and to subjectively look at it a bit and to be able to do that and to try to do that because the deeper you go, physical truth can be kind of an obvious thing. It can be, are you getting hit in the head? No, blam, yes. Okay, sort of simple like that. Then when you get into mental truth and emotional truth, it becomes both more variable, especially on the emotional side. On the mind mental side, it can be clouded by things like I talk about. On the spiritual side, it can really be what religion are you or how do you perceive that or what is your perception of that aspect of reality? How much of that is what really is? How much of that is wishful thinking? How much of that is um, how you're perceiving whether that's accurate or not, and then being able to take the, the whittling knife to that and trying to get to it. And so uh, if you look at, and I'm telling you guys this as a teacher, whenever I'm talking about something more philosophical, and I can be tough to get on a philosophical line, I don't like to do it because I feel like a lot of times I'm interjecting something in there. A lot of times, if you guys hear something a little bit on the political side, from me and I try not to overly do that. And in fact, in a lot of more open classes, bigger, bigger, wide open classes, I try not to do it at all. Um, and the same thing on the religious side is that I really try to point out reality as best as I can. In other words, is that how many fingers are they holding up? Are they holding up two? Are they holding up five? And what is really happening there, as opposed to what people are saying is happening there or what people think is happening there. And with the, with the moral ethical standpoint of, and I'll just say it from politically, if somebody has, uh, and whatever issue it is, let's say the, the abortion issue, and if somebody really is coming from a, from a uh, right to choose place, to not be from a teacher, higher level teacher standpoint, to not be judgmental of where they are with their views on that. They have their reasons. And if they have a right to, uh, uh, not the other one, but a, an anti-abortion stance, the same, the same perspective. And it can be tough because you have your own views and where you're at on that. But as a teacher, if you're going to teach a bigger audience, you have to be able to take that spectrum and really have it wide open like that. And the bigger trick for me and, and, and ideally you guys who are teaching is to be able to take somebody and doing that and going, well, why do you hold those views? And a lot of times people take that as a challenge. And when I'm saying that, usually I'm not saying it as a challenge, it, although it can be taken that way. What I'm trying to do is, have you examined that? Why do you think that? What is your thinking on that, was it different before? Is it likely to be different in the future? What kinds of circumstances would impact that? How and why? And the uh, and that's whatever view they've got. I'm coming from that same kind of a questioning place because you're looking for self in a certain kind of a way and you're looking for truth in a very specific sort of kind of a way and you're trying to get it so that ideally at the higher level, you can rise up in a certain way above what 
the what the masses are typically looking at and thinking about when they're looking at and thinking about this stuff. And as a Tai Chi teacher, that for me becomes part of that understanding at a higher level that we are seeking as part of what we're doing with the art. And so I typically have that coming through and it can make my viewpoints or a conversation. If somebody hears my conversation with one person and hear my conversation with somebody coming from a very different place, they can go, is he just like being catering to these people, being pleasing or whatever? And it's no, I'm after the same reality at the end of the day, but I'm trying to work from uh, both understand that person's viewpoint and why and how and that kind of a thing. And also, what is it going to take to, even if you're still at the higher place, have these are the way I want things to be able to understand a lot more about it in a deeper kind of a way. So I hope I've been able to convey that well. That's a lot of, that was a big mouthful to try to convey that, but hopefully I've been able to get across to you what I'm trying to say there. I want to let you guys weigh in on that and then I've got more for that, but and it's, it is about, it is hard work, by the way, for self and when you're teaching to work with others to make that be a thing that you're doing in a very productive way for yourself and for other people. And I know that. I'm very aware of it. Yeah, I think that you have to be um, very patient and have a lot of compassion and just uh, allow them room to do their growing because if what we're really trying to do is peel back layers and look for that authentic person inside and allow them to flourish and really become, you know, fluid in their movement and also in their energy. And sometimes it does take a lot of work for them. So you have to be very kind and patient. Well, and also that they're discerning the, the, the discernment more, more than what, let me put it this way. My view on this is that somewhere between 95 and 99% of everything we take in and everything we experience is an illusion. And so it's how do you cut through that illusion and get to the reality? <clears throat> Next, <laughs> everybody go, okay. Daniel, you wanna weigh in? You say me? Yeah. Uh, what would you like me to say? Yeah, I don't, and just any thoughts on any of that? I know you get, I know you do some of the same thing with students, and that you deal with different personalities and those kinds of things. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, so, I think yeah. Um, you know people have as many mental and emotional and spiritual blocks as they do uh, physical blocks. More, many, and, many more, typically, yes. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, to give you encouragement, there was a guy who, uh, when I, he was a student uh, with me in, in old school Kung Fu stuff. And uh, I started being with Sifu for about a year or so. And he um, he just was very opposed to the idea of, of chi and energy and all this kind of stuff. And just thought the whole idea was ridiculous. And, and we kept going back and forth. And it was frustrating because he was one of my closest people to talk through these things. And he was very just set against what I was trying to discover. What is this internal stuff? And, you know, more and more my skill grew and, and, you know, the proof is in the pudding kind of thing. Um, and it was a couple of years where we were going back and forth. And I remember Sifu Clear said something. I was hanging out with him in the kitchen before a workshop and just kind of sharing my heart and sharing my frustration and sharing uh, some of the conversations we had. And he said, well, it sounds like at some point your friend's going to get it 
And so the question is, are you going to be patient with your friend? Like, really, like, like are you going to take the time to help him work through this, this mental block? Because obviously he's seeing enough where he can't just deny it anymore. And, uh, and that was a few years ago. And I'm, he's been studying with me now. He's my student. He's one of my better students. He's been with me for about two and a half years. And uh, it's completely changed his life. His brother has now become Harry's student because it's opened his brother up to a whole bunch of things. And so I guess if there's any encouragement for me, it's I think discernment is a huge thing. Uh, but if you care about someone or if you have a relationship with someone, are you going to be patient with them as other people have been patient with you, obviously? And if they haven't, then you're probably not that uh, figured out. So I don't know if that helps. Yeah, oh, that's good. So what I found, you know, is this is very difficult and, it, and it's very deep and I'm still on my journey of uh, my, my truth and I've learned a lot, but that's not what I want to talk about. And what, I, what I found is that I, I need to be the most flexible person in the relationship for it to work. I can't expect them to change to meet me. I need to, I need to meet them so that we can communicate. Um, I don't have to agree with them, but I need to be open and they need to feel safe. And when we can have that, that level of communication, then we can talk about things that we might believe in, uh, why we believe in things, but they know that I'm not judging them. And, and I, I, I don't care if they judge me. Um, it doesn't matter to me if I'm judged. I think that's just all part of the conversation. And I... I try to really in, in, in the world of being a, an instructor or a teacher is confine what my relationship is with people to training and learning and development, because this can be a very large topic. And to go too far outside of that, I, I don't want to have to interfere with the learning environment that I want to create with Tai Chi. However, I do enjoy the conversation, and, and if I feel safe with the person that they're able to have that type of conversation outside of the classroom, then I would. It helps me. Uh, anyone I can talk to about this uh, really helps me along on my journey so I can find my truth better. Every time I think I know my truth, it turns out that there's a little more to it. There's more to it. Yeah. And part of what, when I'm saying this for mastery too, it's that one of the things that uh, that you'll hear masters talk about or the people that are that are very close to master, you know, been studying a long time and close to masters that are really on their, that really have it like that, that really are masters, is that um, having a very, very, very sharp mind, a very, a very, you know, a very, a very quick mind, a very, a very strong mind and not stubborn mind, very strong. There's a difference. Um, the, the, uh, but having that, that real mental um, development is part of this. Yeah, and part of, part of what, like for me, if I'm talking to somebody and it's about a political belief or a religious belief is, okay, so I hear that you're promoting this or that. And my question is not why are you promoting this or that, but what is it you're getting out of that? What is it you want to get from that? What is it that, that you're actually after? 
a lot of times if somebody is, is what you would think of as diametrically opposed to you, if you can have a conversation about what fundamentally they want or they're desiring or they're after, you'll find they're not so different than everybody else most of the time. It's that they think of A or B or C as the better venue to get to those things or that there are things that they're opposed to that discriminate then against two of those three things or, or four things or five things or two things, whatever it is, but that causes them to go, well, I don't like what that is, so I'm gonna do this. And part of that sharp mind thing that we're talking about is if they're coming from there, I'll go, well, if you could design it, what would it look like? And what would that require of you, both physically and mentally? You know, what would you have to adjust in order for that to be the case? And how would, what would that look like? And they go, but reality is never going to be like that. And then one of the, in Tai Chi, one of the more advanced trainings is you shape that. You don't think you do, but you do. Now, if it becomes the lay of the land, it's because a whole other, bunch of other people also came from that place. And that may or may not happen. But you have to define you really well. And if you can't do that and you're just following something blindly, truth gets extremely lost in that situation. And it can't, and, and it's going to take you further and further away from it. Sorry, go ahead. Next. <laughs> Harry, you want to take a stab at any of that? I don't know that I have anything else to contribute on that. I, I agree with everything that's been said pretty much. Anything there that was new, newish to you in terms of understanding or that? I know you've seen me do and say and and interact in different kinds of ways where you can tell that it is what I'm telling you. I've just recognized you putting a lot of what you've just said into practice. Yeah. 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 And now a word from our sponsor. What is internal power? Most people only understand external exerting power, which is another way of saying tense muscle strength. Bigger, more tense muscles equal more power. That's external power. Internal power comes from pretty much anything except tensing your muscles. There are many sources of internal power and tapping into them is more of a mind skill than anything else. This is where the phrase mind over matter comes from. My name is Richard Clear and internal power is what I do. Students come to me for the mind over muscle secrets of internal power that are hard to find anywhere else. Over the past 40 years, I figured out how to get students on the fast track to effortless power. I created a one-of-a-kind online program that is getting such amazing results for my students that I put a money-back guarantee on it. Find out more at internalpowerkeys.com. That's internalpowerkeys.com. Thank you. Ty? Uh, there was just a lot to digest there. Um, <laughs> so I don't have anything at this time to add. Anybody else? If not, I'll take you to another part. But at least I wanted to get that on your radar and something that you guys are thinking about. And then obviously, hopefully people that are listening at home would have something maybe they'd want to weigh in on that too. Phil? Uh, Sifu, I've come across a new idea and I just heard about it a couple of days ago. So I haven't really totally digested it. But I think it relates a lot to this and a lot of other things as well. So a lot of times people talk about the reptile brain, which is functioning on instinct 
and mm -hmm. doesn't use logic at all. And, and then there's the neocortex, the thinking part of the brain. But reptile brain, the logic that it's working on there is survival, correct? Right. Yeah, so it's, there's, there's a logic, but it's a very primal. Yes. You know, kill or be killed, run or flight or flight, kind of a kind of a logic, not. And then the, where it can be illogical is if it misinterprets something that it can have a either run off when it should have stayed or fight when it really shouldn't have been fought, when you really shouldn't have been fighting that kind of thing. But anyways, right. go ahead. So the, the new idea I came across was there's a third brain. So the, the reptile brain, I think is what they call the, the hind brain. It's the cerebellum and the medulla. Yeah. And the uh, neocortex is a thinking brain. And then there's the- Well, neocortex is um, up front, like frontal lobe kind of yeah. area or- yeah. Right. And then, but there's another part that I is that I hadn't thought about, and that's the midbrain, which is I don't know if it's a hippocampus or whatever, but anyway, it's like the what they call the monkey brain. Is it and, no monkey brain. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So the reptile brain is functioning for survival. Uh, though, if you don't have air or you don't have food, or you don't have water, then the reptile brain kicks in and it will do whatever it has to do to survive. Yeah, if you're threatened and go into a general response, you end up in right. Yeah. The monkey brain- in today's society, which is not good, but another, another, another <laughs> aspect, go ahead. But actually the monkey brain is more of what goes on in society. Yeah. And yep. the monkey brain is about acceptance and group identity. Okay. And in the monkey brain, if you're humiliated or you're tossed out of the group, that feels like death. Yep. Okay. Okay. And so people make decisions and deal with conflict often from the basis of the monkey brain. And they have the sense of identity. And it's also if, you know, if I fight for my group until, you know, until death, then we will beat your group if you don't fight to death. And it's sort of like, kind of likes what's happening in American politics. But anyway, <laughs> so I haven't thought all of this through, but the idea is that, that when we deal with a lot of issues and they can be religious, they can be political, they can be um, uh, pride, you know, standing up for yourself in a bar. It has to do with prestige and group identity. And so people are responding to, to, to establish their position in the group. Yeah. And often it is very dysfunctional. That's right. And so one of the challenges that the author brought up was that that one of our responsibilities to be in is if we're, if we're getting into a conversation where people, you're getting angry or you're making the person wrong, uh, then you want to ask yourself, am I in my monkey brain? Mm -hmm. And do I need to get out of that so I'm not... I'm not functioning out of this group identity, but I need to step out of my monkey brain and then step into the thinking part so we can do problem solving rather than budding 
monkey brains against each other and getting into some sort of a monkey dance. I would say it this way, that if the stimulus that's, that's sent, put at you is um, mild and it causes you to start thinking different kinds of things and trying to weigh something against something and there's a lot of activity there, that, that tends to be the monkey brain. Okay. That is stepped up or it gets pushed, whether that's by in your own mind or whether that's from somebody else or, or somebody else's, you know, more than one source coming in. And it becomes overwhelming from whatever yes. direction it comes from, whether it be you or them. That's yeah. when it kicks over into that reptile brain. Yeah, right. So, so if if someone's just shouting at you and calling you whatever they call you, a lot of times that's still monkey brain. When the fists start flying, it's, it's monkey brain until you quit hearing what they're saying and you just feel it. And, <laughs> and what happens? That's when you kicked over into the yeah. reptile brain. Yeah. Anyway, that was some new ideas for me that I'm still trying to work through, but I thought it was, yeah. it was, it, 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 so I think it's a, a productive construct. It helps me think through some things. So I'll give you a couple other things to think about with all that, which may make it not worse instead of better. But, um, so the first one is that most people have chatter if I listen for somebody's mind, which is part of what we do in the advanced Tai Chi, you learn how to hear their body, feel their body, sense their body, and to sense their mind, and to sense and feel their spirit as well. And most people in today's world, when I feel, if they, without training specifically in this way, if I feel, if I, if I start to feel their mind, it's like I'm playing three or four radios at the same time. There's all this chatter. Uh, and it's deferring chatter. And unfortunately, we live in a time, or fortunately, depends on how you look at it. We live in a time when there's so much media input and so many, so much advertising and so many different perspectives that really end up very much right in front of you in a very short period of time. And with all kinds of for lack of a better way to say this, advertising or marketing or something that is designed to cause you to think and feel certain ways, which is in conflict with a whole bunch of other messages that are trying to get you to think and feel in other ways that the uh, bug, sorry, <laughs> that, uh, um, that then you end up not being sure where you're at and trying to decide. And when you're thinking about, well, I want to take this action, there's this other, well, but would that be the thing? And, or that way. And even just think about it from political messages for a minute. And I put a little bit of time into this in terms of thought. Most political messages that are put out by whoever they're put out by, anybody that's a professional, they're trying to figure out how to say whatever they want to say in the least amount of words possible and to make it a very quick sound bite. Um, and whether that be make America great, that's three words, or, um, or make America great again, that's four words, or uh, see if you said, let's get back to the way things used to be too many words. And so there's a short version of that, that the, the democratic side of the it's got right now, but basically it's the, it's the fewest words they can that are trying to say, get back to the way things used to be, which was better, right? That kind of a, that kind of a message. And I'm sorry, I can't think of exactly what the words are for it off the top of my head, 
um, the uh, and or if it's a uh, religious thing, uh, there are different messages depending on the religion. You know, if we're talking about a Buddhist thing, it would be like be one with all that is, which is really too many words. Be one, right? And if it was uh, straight Christianity, it might be more like um, accept Jesus as your savior. Five words, right? If it's um, anyways, whatever it is, and these sound bites are designed to get you to be like a device to get you into a whole other thinking process. But the other thing, part of the thinking process isn't said. And so that chatter, if, you're, if you've accepted it and you've taken it in, if you have a response to that, that typically is gonna come out as like reptile brain. There's gonna be a lot of emotional something with that because you've taken it, boiled it down to that and don't even think about what those words actually mean so much anymore as much as how they, the feeling that is instilled with them. The problem is at that emotional level, it leads to our reptile brain very quickly. And so if you get two people coming from two different places and they're both doing that, conflict is going to be coming pretty quickly under those circumstances. The, um, if you have, um, the other thing is a person, even on their own, if they are trying to think about it, what happens is they hear the few words and then there's all this other, what does that mean? And, the, and then the chatter starts to come in. And if they get a message that they are willing to accept, that is a different message than that. Now you've got two of these things going on and the chatter gets to be like the multiple radio stations very, very, very quickly. And so you have to be able to cut through all that. It means you have to be able to process it. You have to think about what does that mean? Why is that message being sent at you? Um, is it something that you'd rather just cut it all out and go to silence, like think silent retreat, you know, and you're not getting bombarded with any of this. And there is value to that at the same time, if you're going to have that sharp trained mind, you need to be able to take something like that, look at it, turn it inside out, look at what do they really mean with all of that and who's saying it and why are they saying, it? are they saying it for your benefit? Are they saying it for their benefit? Are they saying it for some other reason entirely differently from either of those? What is it about? Why is it? Am I, should I even be taking that in? Should I even be broadcasting that back out? Um, should these kinds of things in that process. And part of what you're trying to do by doing that is to get that sharper mind so that whatever it is that's said to you or that's broadcasted in some form to you, at you, about you, around you, on you, that what is it, uh, what does it really mean and why is it and what is it and is this something that I actually this does this represent in some way who I am by the way the vast majority of the time it does not but people have a tendency to think that it is and when they do that then that tends to lead down quickly down the road to the rep it either it definitely has the monkey mind quickly and on most of the time jumps into reptile mind very quickly Part of the discernment and developing your mind like this is also there's what, for lack of a word, I'll call your emotional mind. An emotional mind, the bad end of that or the, the end of that that, that becomes can easily become problematic is the monkey mind. But you also want to, and you want to be able to get out of that and get your mind quiet down to the point of one, but not one that's like a, like a mantra or a, an accepted dogma kind of a thing as much as a clarity of thought. 
So it's not that you wouldn't be able to look at, and part of that is to be able to look at both sides of any issue that somebody would have. I use the abortion one because it's like such a, a lightning rod topic and be able to see clearly both sides of that and be able to reasonably argue both sides of that and be able to come to truth more for what it is. Because part of like on that, I'll use that one as the example. Again, it is a lightning rod, I know. And so if you're getting upset about that, realize I'm making no judgment about any end of that right now. And if you're trying to throw a judgment at me, you can keep that message for now. I've got my own thoughts about it and I'm not telling you what they are, uh, except for this. If somebody came to me as a student and they were pregnant and they were going, I'm thinking about this, what I would be trying to look at is what is really smartest for you and depending on the level and the age and everything else of the fetus in this case, what needs to happen? Why does it need to happen? And I don't mean a judgment call either. I mean, what do you understand about this? What are the bigger ramifications about this? Um, you know, and, and including how many people have had an abortion and then sometime later in their life, they've got this, for lack of a better way to say it, um, cloud hanging over them of I did this once that they weren't considering at the time when they were just getting themselves out of a predicament, right? And so, or what they've perceived is getting themselves out of a predicament. And so then how much of their life got affected by that? Obviously the, the fetus was murdered, killed, whatever. The, uh, um, but then how much did that really hang with that person? And was it worth what they did for that? Or was it the smartest course of action? And by smart, I don't mean just emotional and I'm sorry, uh, intellectual intelligence. I mean, also emotional intelligence and lifelong consequence and spiritual consequence and all that stuff. If there were other circumstances that went on, it may be that they need to terminate pregnancy. And there are some things where they try to allow a law for this uh, when they make a law. The thing to know about a law, and again, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not even legal advice, is they're trying to make a policy that kind of fits everybody. And that's really hard to do that with a social issue like that and have it be accurate. It's going to, it's going to be off some. I've looked at it from as simple of a standpoint, just to give you an idea of um, when I was 33, I had a guy that attacked my wife outside of our house first thing in the morning, still dark outside. I ended up in my doorway with a gun and I have firearms and, and teach firearms and ran him off the property, did not, did not shoot him, wasn't at risk of shooting him accidentally, would have if he had kept coming at me, would have shot him dead. Um, but he was smart enough to not keep coming at me and he left and I did discharge the firearm into the ground on purpose to let him know that I wasn't holding a toy. It was a real gun. And if he kept coming, he was going to get shot. He definitely got that message. And I go, of course, got arrested and got arrested because of threatening with a dangerous weapon, even though he was on my property and attacked my wife and was now attacking me and dangerous display of a firearm and all that. And most of that got set aside and a little bit of community service and, hey, don't do that again. That was stupid. And I started looking at the law on it and the things behind the law really, really closely. And I went, wait a minute, this dude was attacking me. And of course, at that time, the law in Florida read one way. If stand your ground had been the law at that point, I don't think they'd have done anything to me or I certainly with my lawyer would have gone and it would have been like, I would have been justified and right and all that kind of stuff, especially since the dude had attacked my wife. He didn't touch my wife. If he had him, I might have just shot him, but that would have probably been illegally 
a problem. And one of the things that came up was that if you put across a broad law, like stand your ground, and I tricked that dude into coming to my property and he's on the property and I, and I basically egg him into a fight, I could create a situation where I could legally shoot people and get away with it. And so they've since, I think, dropped the stand your, and Jim can answer this better than I could by a lot. I think have they still have stand your ground in Florida or have they changed to something else now? Hey, they, uh, you know, they change his names, Castle Doctrine, Stand Your Ground, but whatever. They, but they change the name so that the, not just the name, but then put some other ways that that law is applied now than what was, or is it still applied like it was? Yeah, that happens. That happens in the in the courts. Yeah, you know, the courts develop, uh, you know, case law, and they fine tune it as it goes along. Yeah, but part of that fine tuning and the reason they have that problem is that any way you try to apply it, there there are there are things that it covers pretty well in a perfect situation, and a whole bunch of things on both sides, too much and too little, where it does not cover for those situations appropriately, and or it can be um, subverted, uh, um, not compromised is not the word I'm looking for, but twisted, messed up because somebody had in mind to do that. And so they're trying to figure out how to make it fit a bunch of circumstances in very specific kinds of ways. And it's just super hard to actually do that. And so what you have, and then I had to think about, about it that way in some depth to understand why the law got made like that. And the further I went with it, the more I realized, I'm glad I'm not a lawmaker because you know I'd have to write hundred thousand words, you know, a, a large book just to cover a fairly, fairly, what you would think of on the surface, a fairly simple set of circumstances. But ideally you would be able to think about it that way. And when you do, it changes your thought on stuff and the mind starts to become very sharp because of it. The, uh, and so with the emotional help, instead of it becoming monkey mind, ideally it's a, the ability to be empathetic to feel um, for other people it's the, and have that be strong enough that it actually can be used in healing and forgiving in a spiritual way yourself and others and to be helpful and uplifting to yourself and to others and to um, be able to think and think about it like a child who's, who's boohooing over something that is really minor that as an adult you're able to look at it and go oh that's a little bitty thing there it's not little bitty for them, but you have, you have the emotional maturity that you can see it for what that is. And so this is trying to take that emotional maturity to much more advanced levels so that a lot of things, you know, what the master, what the student calls the end of the world, the master calls a butterfly. That kind of a thought, but developing your mind to the point where you have that bigger perspective and the, the quickness and the, and the precision with that mind. Anyways, and so the emotional mind like this. And then there's the gut and the gut where it's not really uh, reptilian, but where you're able to start to pick up on a lot of things very early. There is a, there is a gut brain and some things that that does. So, and, and all these things. So anyway, so I'm trying to give you some idea and some depth here. All right. Any other thoughts, questions, remarks, et cetera? <laughs> um, I actually was... I was planning on mentioning that the, the gut brain, it's, um, it's very interesting. You have enough neurons in there to make a brain about the size of a cat's. Um, 
So a lot of times when we use expressions, oh yeah, for sure, absolutely. You 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 need to. It's it has occurred to me actually when you drop into the gut, like if you're trying to have your mind in the gut, and how much of what you perceive while you're there is related to that uh, gut brain. So it's it's an interesting place to go. The gut's involved in a lot of um, the immune system response. And so depending on what your eating habits are, um, you can really affect your emotional stability and it actually does affect the thought process quite a bit. So it's a, it's a very important thing to, to sort out your eating habits in order to achieve the balance that I would assume most people who are getting into Tai Chi are looking for balance. <laughs> and so um, it's an aspect that's very, very uh, fruitful if you take the time to figure it out for sure. Yeah. So in order for that to work correctly, and it, it's very much tied into um, being able to make decisions and really, you know, like we say, my gut's telling me this or that. You, you should listen to that because if you're considering a, a course of action, but you've got butterflies, you know, you have to consider, is this a warning or is it excitement? Part of what's going on with this too is that if somebody is very hard and fixed in their thinking, think about that in terms of physical movement for a minute. If you're very hard and fixed in your physical movement, does that look like Tai Chi anymore? And it's no, it's, it's very, it's very changing and very agile and very uh, flowing and very um, oozing, one of my favorite words lately, and very um, uh, malleable and very becoming the shape that's needed for what's happening through and through and that your mind is this too. And by that, I don't mean that you have a core belief and that that core belief is, is now becoming something completely, you know, the, the antithesis of what your core belief is. It's allowing for your core belief to be an adult instead of a child and then to become to a master level. And so, it, and so there's a whole different attitude there and Tai Chi is designed to get that. And so somebody looking at it from the outside, not knowing might be like, Hey, that's kind of a religion trying to get me to do certain things. And it's not that it's trying to make it more advanced and the thoughts you're going to have and the thoughts, the way that you're going, it's not that the thoughts or your core belief would be different. It's the way that you understand that core belief, how you're going to approach that core belief what your the 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 ramifications of that core belief and how it affects you and others in much more deeper ways which then can get to very profound healing stuff um it's more about that and that is part of the art yeah okay other any other aspects to do with what we've been talking about or thoughts that you guys had that you didn't get to express there ty Think about think about if, do you have something specific there or no? Ty? No, I do not. So let me let me let me talk, if you're comfortable talking about it. Um when I had the conversation with you in LA, right, about certain aspects of PTSD and approaches to things, 
I kind of walked you through a process that created some very specific kinds of mental changes that have to do with the way that I'm talking about teaching here. And there was a profound, uh, a healing aspect to that that was fairly profound. And I'm not asking you to relay something that's private and notice I've worded this very specifically. Um, as much as you've had direct experience with this aspect of what we're talking about things in this Tai Chi way, and if there's anything, and then I know that because of what you're doing, working with folks with PTSD and all of that, you've had some different kinds of interactions and conversations and experiences yourself. Um, and so you maybe can talk to that a little bit. And now I, I really don't um, have problems with you discussing it or discussing it myself, because I find that the, um, the more I'm willing to discuss it, the more I find that I um, self-heal. And that um, so talk about that so that <clears throat> we can understand the, the process I'm talking about. Okay, well, um, the process is something that's been ongoing with me as far as open the opening doors and taking a really deep look at uh, situation and how I responded to the situation and what were the other ways I could respond to the situation and um, why I responded to the situation in the way I did. And um, before we had that conversation, I had night terrors where I would have nightmares at the point where I'd wake up and put my fist through walls and throw over furniture and, and yell and scream and basically relive um, some really bad experiences that I had while I was in the Marine Corps. And those night terrors have not returned since we had that conversation. And that's one of the reasons why I felt that the path I was on would be helpful to other people, either um, people who had bad experiences in the military or bad experiences as first responders and now I'm finding out whether it also applies to people with um, domestic violence issues, things of that nature. I tend to basically work with other vets because it's something I can relate to more closely. Although I have had some people come to me with domestic violence situations where I tend to go ahead and ask them to speak to someone else because I don't feel like I'm clear yeah. enough no, that's on right. that sort of thing. Yeah, no, the, for us, it's the development of the mind, the body and the mind and the spirit, which is a Tai Chi thing. Mm -hmm. If it becomes something where there really is psychological specific help and or counseling kind of help, then, um, that, you know, as, a, as the Tai Chi instructor, we've got a certain amount of that that we can do that is appropriate to being a teacher of this person, but, but it very easily gets to be like, no, there's a whole bunch of other stuff there that has to be dealt with. And then that's not, that's not what we're doing. Exactly. And yeah. I'm <laughs> also fortunate and that I'm a certified peer to peer counselor. So that helps too. But I do realize that what I bring is an augment, not the necessarily the answer. And so I, I approach it from that direction that I'm augmenting anything else you're doing. Don't feel like this is all you need to do. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Anybody else? The, uh, and so I'm going to try to see if there's anything else here. So I try to teach students the real, the real thing and how to get to the, to that core reality like we're talking about. And it's according to their ability and understanding and their readiness to really learn it. Um, for those of you that have studied with me close, you may have noticed that about certain aspects of religion or politics, I can get a little bit heated myself, but I will tell you, and if you think back on almost anything we've ever talked about on it, when I get heated is when I know that there is a subversion of truth and that you as a student are buying into that subversion of the truth as if it's the truth. And that can be from any political group, any religious group, doesn't matter. I am not married in that way to one it's that or even any marketing message whatever it is right it's that get to the truth of the thing and it might be impossible or hard or whose truth are we talking about or all those kinds of things and then how well hidden is that truth you know is it an overt lie or is it a very uh almost under the radar lie or a 99 percent truth and one percent kind of lie um and all those kinds of things and then is your thinking about it designed to get you to truth? And so getting into the core, what's behind it is, and what's behind it for you as an individual, that's the better way to get to it. And so I do get, uh, and I'm just letting you know this, sometimes personally frustrated if I'm seeing somebody's putting forth one of the taglines and I'm kind of going, what does that really mean to you? And it's like, well, it means, and they repeat the tagline. And then I'm kind of going, ah, that may not be what the person who you got that from or who that represents really means by that. The, uh, in fact, there's a high likelihood in today's world that that is not what they mean by that. You know, make the, make the whatever it is uh, the best for them does not necessarily mean it made it the best for you. And what they mean by that and what you mean by that likely isn't the same thing. And, and I don't care what group's putting it out. It's, that's just most likely the case. Um, and in today's world, again, I'll say this too, and it's that anytime when you're trying to get a mass of followers, there's a whole lot of putting a message out designed to build followers, which means they may not believe that at all. And so are you able to think about it in that way, or are you married to the, the group or the I'm trying to say this, the, 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 uh, if we were talking about churches, I would say the church. If we were talking about political affiliations, that political group, um, whatever it is so much so that you're missing what, you know, what message are they actually putting out there? What does that message really mean? What does that message really mean to you? And then what can you take from that? And is that who you really are? I have a very hard time, but I'll say it this way personally. Um, identifying with any group thing, whether it be um, a particular political affiliation or a particular religious affiliation, because um, it's just too often it's codified into something that that's not me. But you can't look at the surface. If you look at just the surface, then you could go, oh, yeah, I kind of fit into that category. And a lot of times if I'm doing it that way at a very surface level, it's like, well, I fit most of them. 
But if I start getting fair, the more specific and the more defined that I get, then the, then the more it becomes not really all that. And, it, and then it, and anyway, you get the idea. Um, and you see this with a lot of people who are like tied where they were military and they're not like they're apolitical, they're not political either side and that kind of thing. And then people that are your really intellectual thinkers, you ask them a question and you get a long answer. And if you're used to hearing a bunch of political people giving you BS answers, it almost sounds like that but actually listen to them like they're teaching you something and you start going, okay, there's a lot more to that issue than what I thought it was. If you listen to what that person has to say and they're coming at it from an intellectual progressed advanced standpoint. Now, if they're not, if they're selling something, then maybe they're just selling something. But anyways, you get the idea. So teach the student as best you can, the real thing according to their ability and understanding and their readiness to really learn it. And that each person is responsible to do the practice for their own health and well-being. And that self-responsibility, that's the other one that I really try to put across in the stuff. That's right, part of the reason I don't teach most, for the most part and have, have it taught the follow-along classes because that's, not, that's a person ceding responsibility to you. I'm showing up and you're putting me through a workout. And what I came, what I came to understand about it was that, well, if they came wanting to work out and that's all they really wanted and then they're getting the workout, well, they're taking responsibility for that much and they brought themselves to the class to get it. Okay, that's not the bigger thing I'm doing, but I can provide that service. The, uh, but if it's somebody who's a student, then the constant challenge, and you'll see it as you go up through the levels, is really what can I do to make it so that you really get that you are responsible for how you, for not just what you do, but how you think why you think it and really and really defining and getting in there and and getting those thoughts those those ideas those um those core beliefs those um the whole thing to an elevated understanding point and being and all of that and there is a lot of and people tend to in our society today they want to cede personal responsibility and it's part of the problem that you're seeing systemically in in the in the popular in the on the planet. Um, and it's one that uh, when you go towards mastery level, you can't keep that thought process and actually be a master. It's very hard. You might physically be a master, but you're not a master like the way that most people that actually have mastery think of being a master. The um, it really requires that that uh. It's not follow along without personal responsibility. It, it really does require that. So um, any other thoughts or anything on any of that? And then with, and then, and, and I wanna give you guys time to weigh in on that. And then that's it for today. Cause obviously we've gone longer than I meant to by a little bit. I could just uh, throw out a strategy for helping to avoid that is that once the students know the form that each of them takes a turn in leading the class and therefore is taking the paper of being the teacher. And, you know, it really encourages them to practice at home a little bit because they know that eventually they're going to be put there in and, the front. So. And to think it through some. <laughs> yes, I like it. Anybody else? Any other thoughts? Actually, uh, Julie, you hit on something really, I think that's really important because certainly a lot of my students have been very lazy about really learning the form and they just want to follow along for somebody else. And this is actually something good I learned from Paul Lamb. <laughs> so anyway, 
what he said is that he had students that really couldn't learn the form, you know, they were just lazy or not necessarily they didn't try, but they, they were just mentally lazy. Right. So what he did is he would do exactly that. He said, you prepare to leave the form next time. And it was really helpful to getting them so they actually could remember the whole thing. Mm. Yeah, they had an incentive now. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I like it. Yep. Yeah, I would say that the, in that case there, there's, you know, it's tying into their fear of being in front of others a little bit. It's tying into their, some of that responsibility for others. And, uh, and obviously most people will respond to that really well. And then that's a level, right. Of, of kind of, I would say that that level goes from being a beginner student to being, or, or a novice completely to being a real student. It's going to help get somebody started down that path, which is a really good thing. And then the, the higher level is that same level of responsibility and, and effort and all of that, but without that outside stimulus, it really is about doing that for yourself and taking that responsibility over self in that way. And that's a little tougher for people, but it is doable and, and um, yeah. And like all of you guys here, most of you have done that kind of work or are doing that kind of work. So uh, kudos you know, to you and keep up the great work. Any other thoughts or questions or anything regarding this today? All right, so we'll pick it, we'll pick it up next time and thank you and um, have a great week if I don't talk to you before and more soon. All right. Thank you, Sifu. Thank you, Sifu. Thanks, Sifu. Take Thank care, you, everybody. Everyone. Bye. And now, a word from our sponsor. For those of you who are interested in internal power and want a reliable place to start, and for anyone who wants to experience internal power for themselves, go to internalpowerguide.com. I built a crash course in hands-on internal power. The Practical Guide to Internal Power is a work-at-your-own-pace online program. It is the course I use to get students from 0 to 60 as quickly as possible, and it is totally free. So sign up at internalpowerguide.com now and get started right away. That's internalpowerguide.com.